We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, a first grade teacher near Boston, Massachusetts, tells five, six, and seven-year-old children that when they're born, doctors take a look at them and make a guess as to whether or not they're boys or girls. How in the world did we ever come to a point of such confusion? I'll answer this question and more on today's Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. All right, the topic of the day is this first grade teacher near Boston, Massachusetts. I understand it's a school about 30 miles south of Boston. Now, you may have heard the clip, and if not, I'm going to play it for you after we take a break. This guy actually goes online to provide guest instruction in a class where there are five, six, and seven-year-old children, K through second grade. And he tells these children, he tells these innocent young boys and girls that their identity, their their identity as a boy or a girl, male or a female, is not a scientific fact. He actually says that when you're born, the doctors take a look at you and they make a guess. The doctors make a guess as to whether or not you're a boy or a girl. That's what they're teaching your kids. Why do I keep harping on education? Why do I keep highlighting this stuff? It's because they're teaching your kids when they're in kindergarten, first and second grade, this nonsense that doctors look at them when they're born and they actually guess as to whether or not they're a boy or a girl. And these are the people who are calling conservatives, calling Christians, science deniers. This stuff needs to be exposed. And if we just talk about it one time and move on to the next item of news, if we don't have the intellectual discipline to stay focused on this huge problem, then our kids are lost and our culture is dead. And we're on the precipice of those two things being facts. We're actually sacrificing our children's minds and souls on the altar of these public schools who are telling your kids that doctors are guessing? They're guessing as to whether or not they're boys or girls and that there's no way to know whether or not that guess was accurate until you grow up and allow your feelings to trump the biological facts of who you are. We've talked many times before on this show about Chuck Colson's worldview model where he tells us that there are four things, four basic questions that every worldview answers. Origin of man, nature of man, redemption of man, and the responsibility of man. Those are the four things that every worldview addresses, whether it's Christianity, whether it's secularism, whether it's humanism, whether it's communism, whether it's Confucianism, it doesn't matter, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all worldviews, every one of them answers those four basic questions. 
And as Colson told us over and over again, if you get the answer wrong to the first two, origin of man and nature of man, where do you come from? And how do you define yourself? What kind of being are you? Everything else thereafter is going to unravel. You won't have any glue to hold the culture together any longer that's meaningful. If you can't answer the question as to where do you come from, you know, are you endowed by your creator with certain unalienable rights, or are you nothing but the product of the primordial soup? And if so, you have no rights, because rights are nothing but constructs of culture, power plays of society. So it's a huge, huge issue here in terms of where do you come from and what kind of being are you? Origin of man and nature of man. I'm going to discuss this after we listen to the audio video clip of this first grade teacher and what he's telling these young children. And then I'm going to ground my commentary in the words of Justice Kennedy. When he unleashed this kraken of craziness on our culture, when he codified into law that we have the right at the heart of human existence and our legal system is the right of every human being to define their own reality. This was nuts when he said it, and we're bearing the consequences of that terrible idea right now in real time as you look at the daily news. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. As I said, I'd like to start out this portion of the show and uh, set the stage for everything I'm going to say thereafter by playing this audio clip of what a first grade teacher was telling kindergartners, first graders, and second graders in Boston, Massachusetts. Listen to this. And something, something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Ms. Hammond read, but I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man, but when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, Everyone thought I was a girl, and this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets, and the only way to make the itching stop is to have everyone see and know the person that you really are. So when I was 18, I told my family and my friends that I'm really a boy, and it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders, and I had the freedom to be who I truly am. And even though this experience is super challenging sometimes, um, I am it made me the person I am, and I'm super proud to be transgender. So there you have it. When babies are born, doctors take a look at the baby and they make a guess as to whether or not it's a boy or a girl. And they go tell the parents accordingly. Now most of the time the doctors are right, but sometimes the doctors are wrong. And how do we know that the doctor was wrong when he defined you as a boy or a girl? Well, we know because of your feelings, your emotions, not because of biology, 
not because of physiology or genetics. We know that the doctor was wrong because of personal emotions and feelings. That's the premise to this entire argument, and that's what they're teaching these young children in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, why did I reference Judge Kennedy earlier? It's because, and I want to remind you, we've talked about this before. In 1992, Anthony Kennedy wrote an opinion. Okay, He wrote an opinion in a very critical case. And his opinion was this. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Close quote. I'm going to read that to you again. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Close quote. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, 1992. Now, what he just said is perhaps the most vacuous boatload of pablum that you've ever heard from a Supreme Court justice in recent years. He, he opened up Pandora's box and he released a a curse, a Herculean curse on our culture by uttering those words. And very few people batted an eye because it sounded so wonderful, didn't it? At the heart of human liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Now, why do I say that this was a opening up of Pandora's box and the release of a curse on our culture? Well, just think about some of the headlines that we have to wrestle with in not the too distant past, as well as this nonsense that this first grade teacher is teaching these young children in Boston. I mean, you've got proponents of critical race theory, or they're doubling down on telling us that people with paler skin are actually less human than persons of color. Yeah, and that's a quote. That's what Nick Cannon said, that If you don't have a certain amount of melanin in your skin, you're less human. That's a very dangerous place to go. Very dangerous place to go to define a certain group of people as being less than fully human. And I'm not saying it. They are. And then you've got these sociologists such as Kyle Myers and her husband Brent Courtney. They made national news a couple years ago for raising their child so that he or her could change and define their own gender at the age of five. And that was celebrated in the mainstream media and at our colleges and universities and in our government. Letting a child at the age of five decide whether or not he's a girl or whether or not she is a boy? No, that's not good parenting. That's child abuse. And then we have the pride marchers that included Kamala Harris and her husband, boldly strutting our nation's streets while they're declaring that sexual inclinations are one and the same with their human identity. You know, all of these stories, whether it be this teacher in Boston right now or these stories that are a couple years old that I just cited, all of these stories have one thing in common. All of them, every single one of them, is an example of doing precisely what Justice Kennedy told us all to do back in 1992. Every one of these stories are tales of people choosing to define their own concept of existence. It's it's another example, example after example after example, of people deciding for themselves what it means to be human. 
And that is not a good place for us to go. We don't decide who's human and who is not. It's not for us to decide. And that is a basic error in the worldview of the left. They think that the origin of man and the nature of man is defined as follows. Our origin is not that we're created by God. We are nothing but the product of the survival of the fittest, that we rose up out of the swamp, the primordial ooze of Darwinism, and we have become special beings within the evolutionary scheme that have the ability to actually ignore biology and define ourselves differently. Origin of man and nature of man. Our nature isn't that we're sinful and fallen. Our nature is that we are noble savages, to quote, to quote Rousseau, and that we're good innately, and that if we could somehow neutralize the societal and cultural influences on us, such as parental influence or the church's uh, moral instruction, or even the scientific um, hard calculated realities of what the doctor says about you, whether you're a boy or a girl, male or female, if we could just somehow rise above those cultural constructs, then the noble savage would prevail and we'd have a utopia before our very eyes. There's a very big difference between these worldviews and what Justice Kennedy said in terms of us having the right to choose to define our own concept of existence. Has, that's what's led us to this mess. I mean, it's the seminal issue of our time. It's the biggest question. It's the biggest question that drives every other question. What does it mean to be a human being? What is our origin and what is our nature? What does it mean to be a human being? I'll say it one more time. Are we morally culpable? Do we choose our actions? Do our appetites define us? Can we and should we rise above our instincts and our inclinations? Can we decide to behave differently? Are we defined by the color of our skin? Or are we defined by the content of our character? Is there such a thing as an objective male and female? I mean, these are questions. These are important questions. And if we can't get the answers to these questions right, then everything else, everything else thereafter is going to be wrong. Everything will be wrong. And because we're answering the first two questions, origin of man and nature of man, wrongly, we're living in a corrupt and collapsing culture. You know, some 4,500 years ago, the Judeo-Christian tradition was affirmed, and it continued to affirm that we are the Imago Dei. Now, what am I referring to here? I'm going back to the beginning of recorded human history, the Old Testament. Genesis says that we're made in the image of God. We are the Imago Dei. We have held fast to this idea for some 4,500 years. We are not the Imago Dog. We are the Imago Dei. We are not animals. We're made in the image of God. This is a time-tested truth. It's a truth that has elevated mankind to an objective good. It's a truth that led to that elevation of human beings like no other truth. And for centuries, for centuries, this truth and this worldview has stood in direct opposition to our hell-bent determination to diminish men and women to little more than products products of intersectionality 
and products of our libido and our fantasies, products of our feelings, the feelings of those who seem to deem themselves to be the fittest to survive. Do you see the overlap in this romanticism of uh, Rousseau, that we are noble savages, and Karl Marx's radical Darwinism, where he argues that the fittest should survive in the cultural conflict, the powerless over the power brokers, the proletariat over the bourgeoisie, the us against them, the 1% over the 99 or the 99 over the 1. This is the conflict that is endemic in Darwinism and Marxism and humanism and postmodernism. We're dealing with all of this right now. So we've got to ask ourselves these questions. Here are some more with regard to this question of whether or not we have the right to define our own existence and our own meaning, to define what it means to be human. Are we merely products of the primordial ooze, as I just suggested? Are we nothing but evolved beasts risen triumphantly from this Marxian swamp? Or are we simply happenstance and chance? Do we have moral significance over and above a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, or even a virus for that matter? Are we somehow different than all of the rest of the stuff that we see around us? Do... Do we believe in justice? Uh, Cows don't, horses don't, dogs don't, but we seem to. We seem to believe in justice. And why do we care about civil rights? Uh, Why are we indignant when we see something that we consider to be wrong? Do you ever stop and ask yourself that? You don't see indignation in the rest of the animal kingdom, but human beings are, we're pros at it. We're pros at being righteously indignant. It, it seems to me that we stand alone. We stand alone as the only beings that have ever cared about stuff like tolerance and love and inclusion and equality and fairness. Why? Why? Why do people think rape is wrong? Why should slavery be reviled? Why isn't greed good? And why was the Holocaust a, a bad thing? We, we need to understand that when we even engage in these questions and start asking them, that there's a premise to the questions, and that is that we're different. We're different than everything else that we see around us. Do we still believe in science or don't we? Do we, do we believe in biology or don't we? How about physiology? Do we believe that that's important? Are these things scientific facts or are they nothing but feelings and fabrications and constructs? Do we believe in genetics? Is the human being an objective reality, or is the human being nothing but a social construct? Is the human being defined by facts, or is the human being nothing other than a collection of feelings? Well, if we conclude that our feelings trump the facts, then you're going to have crazy teachers like this first grade teacher south of Boston, Massachusetts, that telling, that are, that, that, who is telling the kids, children, five, six, and seven-year-olds, that doctors don't know what they're talking about when they look at a newborn baby and determine whether it's a boy or a girl, that it's nothing but a guess. So here's the point. The answers to all these questions that I've rattled off, the answers to all of these questions 
serve as the necessary predicate for everything else. If we don't answer those basic first two questions rightly, everything else is going to be wrong thereafter. Origin of man and nature of man. And this first grade teacher got the answers wrong, so everything he's saying thereafter is a boatload of nonsense. Here's the point. Defining the human being is the starting point for all else that follows. And when we fail at this, when we fail at the proper definition of this first thing, when we fail at that, it only serves to impede any meaningful quest for justice, righteousness, meaning, and individual or corporate happiness. You can't defend life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of purpose, the pursuit of meaning, unless you define the human being properly. Do you get that? Well, Justice Kennedy didn't, and this first grade teacher doesn't, and your public schools don't get this. When every single individual has the right to define his own concept of existence, then you have nothing to hold the culture together any longer. Because one individual's concept of existence may be delusional, and it may be grounded in everything but science, and another person's definition of what it means to be a human being may be grounded in things that matter and, and actually are immutable and endure the test of time. There's a huge, huge chasm between these two worldviews. And our constitutional republic is grounded on and built upon the worldview that says we are endowed by our creator. We are the product of creation, a creator. We don't get to create ourselves. We were created by God. We are not God. God is God. We, we don't get to make it up as we go, because if that is our highest good, to define ourselves and to say, nature be damned, science be damned, reality be damned, I'm going to define myself differently, and I am going to force that upon the rest of culture, then you have no culture left. You have no culture left. We have to get the answers right to the first two questions of Colson's worldview, origin of man and nature of man. Our seminal documents in the United States and our freedom is grounded in the assumption that, first of all, we have a creator. We are endowed by that creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, that's objectively defined by God, not us, Liberty, that's objectively defined by God and not us. And the pursuit of happiness, that too is defined by God and not you or me. Because purpose will only be meaningful if it is a pursuit of the reality of God's ultimate creation and our place within it. We have to get the answers to this stuff right because when we answer the first two questions wrongly, we lose human dignity and we lose human freedom. Because 
it'll all digress. It'll all implode upon itself to power plays, to cultural and class conflict, to winners and losers, to those that gain the power that they felt other people had. This is the nature of the Frankfurt School of Thought. This is the nature of postmodernity. This is the nature of critical theory. It's Marxism, pure and simple. It's the lie of preaching freedom and liberty, while in reality, it's the quest for power. Power to be yourself, while at the same time, you silence everyone else that disagrees with you. That's not freedom. That's totalitarianism. That's fascism. So, back to the point. Getting the answers, getting these answers wrong, origin of man and nature of man, it's lying to ourselves. It's, it's just a blatant lie. And if you lie to yourself long enough, you start to believe your own lies. M. Scott Peck calls it the diabolical human mind. My friend and former provost at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, a man who went on to become president of Patrick Henry University, Graham Walker, he calls it the pathology of the intellect, the sickness of smart people. And we're all smart. We all, we all have this sickness of the mind, the pathology of the intellect, the diabolical human mind. We lie to ourselves all the time to the point where we start believing our own lies. You can go back nearly 2,000 years to St. Augustine. He warned of this. He called it fantastica fornicato, the prostitution of the mind. I'm going to say that again. Augustine, nearly 2,000 years ago. Fantastica fornicato, Latin for the prostitution of the mind. This is why I've challenged the local schools here in Bartlesville. They are guilty of this. And, and don't let anybody tell you that what I'm saying is not true. I've got screenshots of the classroom with the rainbow flag and the transgender flag in Bartlesville High School. I have a parent, first-hand testimony, come to me and tell me that his son goes and use, uses the fieldhouse restrooms because he doesn't want to go into the common restrooms in the school hallways because they are, quote, unquote, likely to stumble across some other kids having sex in those restrooms. And that, quote, unquote, nobody's doing anything about it. Now, that came directly from a parent who has a son who's told him that. And I also have screenshots of our current school board president endorsing a woman who proudly celebrates being bi and poly, and who also believes that everybody should call Governor Stitt and tell him not to sign the support of women's sports bill that somehow trans girls are girls too. Well, no, they're not. And they shouldn't be participating against real girls. I mean, there, there are consequences to these broken ideas, to the fantastica fornicato, the prostitution of the mind, to the diabolical human mind, to the pathology of the intellect. And it all starts with answering the first two questions wrongly, origin of man and nature of man. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.